Welcome to the Taiwan Factory Podcast. My name is Kara Acheson, and I interview people at Taiwanese factories so that you can have some insight into what's happening in Taiwan. In this episode, I travel to Taichung to meet Joe Westerhoff and Ethan Feig at We Will Inc. You'll want to know these guys if you need help in selecting a polymer. Think of polymers as building blocks for plastic objects. I've known Joe and Ethan for several years and enjoy stopping by to see them for the perfect cup of coffee and also hearing about their projects. I'm new to podcasting and they were so patient while I was setting up my podcast recording equipment. I'm so grateful to have friends like them. I think you'll also like to meet Joe and Ethan. They help their clients make choices in materials and get them connected to the injection molders that match. They're both American and have lived in Taiwan for many, many years. Their Mandarin is flawless and they have embraced the culture while bringing their knowledge of Western business to We Will Inc. Listen in and learn about them and their business. Here I am at We Will in Taichung, um, coming to see some friends here that have been at this company for several years. I, I'm going to interview Joe Westerhoff and Ethan Feig, and they're going to tell us about their company and the products that they are selling these days. So I'm going to kick it off with Joe. Joe, would you tell us about your company? I will. We will. Our company is uh, We Will Inc., and our website is PP Solutions. I've been at the company about 16 years now. We are a plastics company. We import, we export, we distribute, we consult, we combine. You know, I'll ask you a little bit more about that because I think a lot of our listeners are familiar with injection molding, but I don't think WeWill is an injection molding company. How are they different from typical injection molders? We don't have any equipment. That's our main difference. We are a materials specialist. So we are the people who are between the hundreds and hundreds of tons that are being produced daily by the plastic manufacturers. And we are the route the plastics take to the converters who are the injection molders the extrusion molders, the blow molders, the... I'd almost classify you guys as like an R&D type for plastics materials, that if you weren't sure what kind of material to, to select for your project, that consulting with you guys would be a good way to do this. Um, what would you add to that? What, is, what does your company do, uh, Ethan? When you say R&D, that kind of hits on something that we pride ourselves in. Um, we definitely, you know, go the route of a distributor and we service the Taiwan and international markets with, you know, raw material. Um, but, uh, you know, Joe mentioned consulting. And when you said R&D, that kind of clicks for how our company operates. We like to work closely, hand in hand with our partners to provide raw material solutions. So if there's something that, you know, a standard commodity grade can't do for them, then we will find a way to make something new that can. I can think of things like medical-grade products or food-related products, right? Anything that touches uh, food, 
Joe, are there other applications besides like medical and food? If it's plastic, it falls within our realm of, of coverage. I think uh, some of the bigger things over the past few years are like hygiene products or sporting goods, uh, household items, electronics. And even more and more as, as plastics get better at what they do, you can see them move into the, the metal replacement for automotive or for other types of manufacturing. So, you know, traditionally plastics have had lower melting temperatures, but that's slowly changing. That's increasing. So you can do more and more with the plastics that we sell. And so you're finding them in more and more places. You know, that is true. Plastics really have come a long way from, you know, what I think of as Tupperware. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, exactly. so, Joe, you said you'd been here for 16 years. I believe that's what my LinkedIn <laughs> profile says. I, I've lost track somewhere along the way. So have you always worked here at We Will? No, I, I've been in Taiwan since 97, and I came under the pretext of learning Chinese. I did my duty as an English teacher for a while until I found this job and I continued to to find this environment fantastic for Chinese language acquisition. You know, except before Ethan joined, it was an entirely Chinese environment. And um, we, at the time, I was handling the, the distributor, the supplier relationships, which at the time were almost all North American executives. So that's, that's what I did in the early days. We have seen that there has been a very clear and almost complete shift of power or of management over to China. So those North American account managers who were almost exclusively all male at the time are, are now handled a lot by China. Hmm. And interestingly, by females. So it's a very positive change, I think. In the that's interesting. I think that's true in um, China. I saw more women in the higher level positions than I... It's changing here in Taiwan, too. Definitely, it's getting better. But yeah, that's an interesting phenomenon. So 16 years and started out as uh, learning language and then English teaching and then putting that language work to use in other industries. So Ethan, <laughs> how long have you been here? Uh, in in Taiwan, about a combined total of 10 years, a little more than 10. And then here at We Will, I've been here about seven, seven years. Yeah. Wow, you said combined total of 10 years because that, that implies there's two parts. There's two parts, <laughs> yeah. I, I initially came right out of high school and did two years of volunteer work. Oh, that's great. And, uh, and then after that, I went back to the States to, to, to s- study. And then when I finished my degree, I came over here to do some language school. And then after that, look for work. So, so that's kind of the, the route I took. I did a couple, three semesters at a language school here locally and then happened to find this job right at the opportune moment when they were looking to bring on another hire. So mm. it's been, uh, yeah, smooth sailing since then, seven, seven plus years here. Yeah, that's unusual that you see um, uh, two uh, foreign people at a Taiwanese company. Usually there's one, you know, they usually don't invest in having more mm. Uh, native English speakers on staff and also I think the I'm sure the Chinese language skills that you guys have is really fantastic for working with people here 
it, um, it comes in handy in, you know, in what are often very traditional industries. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there tends to be a, uh, yeah, it tends to be mainly either Chinese or, or even Taiwanese, depending on the location you're at. But um, Taiwanese, I le- have to leave to our colleagues. I, that, that <laughs> I was going to ask you that if you speak any Taiwanese, no, you know. No, Pai Se. That's the only word I know. <laughs> Pretty much. I know a few others, but. <laughs> right, right. For the record, I'm not one of those other colleagues who speaks Taiwanese either. Yeah, that's a so tough language. It, it is. It is. Yeah. You know, I see how you got to Taiwan and how you guys have have this friendship now and interest at the commonality of a work environment. Now, something happened to us back in 2019. We started getting cases of COVID happening in China and our borders shut down. How has COVID affected the business here, Joe? I would say it's been a net positive. Um, I suppose there are two answers to that question. One is for we will specifically, and one is for Taiwan as a as a country, as an island. Um, I think it's been positive for both. Not everyone in Taiwan has benefited from COVID. I think there, you know, the restaurant business has been hit really hard, and some mom and pop shops have not made it. I think we can see that all over the streets, where you know shops are just closed or or empty not really functioning, but still there. And that's sad. That's sad. Um, I think for the longest time, and and now as recently China has been really suffering from their second major outbreak, I would say. But uh, that's, that's good for Taiwan. Taiwan has a very strong manufacturing base, uh, you know, very strong in the semiconductor industry. And I think Taiwan has a really strong position in the world economy in terms of manufacturing and and especially R&D. Most of the customers we work with are market leaders, and they are often doing the R&D in Taiwan and then bringing the kind of the protected package over to China to produce in bulk. So a very strong in R&D. Uh, very uh, a good you know it's it's feels strange to say that covid was good for taiwan but i think they as an island we've been able to protect ourselves fairly well and keep things have to date run very smoothly i think you're right about that i think that it is a very unusual situation we've had somehow even with as close a trade that we have with china we were able to keep the virus out for some time you know that's changing here but hopefully we've gotten to this omicron variant that's less severe Mm -hmm. so hopefully we've gotten away from this terrible uh things that other countries have had to deal with but i really like your point about the small mom and pop businesses i think people talk about how great the economy is for taiwan but they're forgetting about the ones that have fallen through the cracks Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people i know who barely made it through and then decided they just couldn't do it anymore. Um, that is a is a serious deal. I don't know how much with percentage-wise of businesses, but I, I think it could be as high as 20% of mom and pops were severely affected and Would may be not be here today. You know, you'd have to count storefronts, right? You'd have to go walk down the street and you see quite a few that are available for rent now. 
Ethan, I want to ask you, how do you think Taiwan is going to get out of this open the border situation? <laughs> do you think we can do it? That's I don't know. The, that's the million dollar question. <laughs> Thank you for giving the hard one to him. <laughs> I think I think the key is probably uh, the mentality of the Taiwanese people and whatever mentality they adopt, I think will in general will will kind of dictate how things go. I think the government is kind of taking some steps to to shift the narrative a bit. You know, they've they've been very proud of the zero covid that has been maintained in Taiwan and I don't know if recently the the CECC started along with announcing how many covid cases there are each day. They are also announcing how many are uh, mild to asymptomatic. How many <laughs> I noticed are that. Serious. How many are, you know, moderate? And so I, I, I've noticed. I think in the people that I'm in contact with, a shift in the, you know, kind of the general attitude, where people see these numbers, you know, that are zero point something percent, and say, okay, well, um, maybe not so, so scary now. So I, I think the government is kind of trying to push people in that that uh, direction because they I think they realize that it's not something that they can control anymore and so now it's more about it's more about you know how how the people in general kind of react to it and I I think I think Taiwanese are very level-headed and they will pull together so you know we're we're in for some rocky times I'm sure um, but I have a lot of faith in you know society as a as a whole here that people will in general, um, keep keep uh, keep cool heads and and uh, see us through to the finish line. I think I do too. I think that we've done really well so far, and there's always going to be a, a part of the population that doesn't want to open the doors. They're content keeping it this way. But you know, it's been a couple of years since customers have been able to come in and talk. Mm -hmm. Right? When was the last time you guys had a customer come and and visit your company? has been pre pre covid pre covid yeah yeah that's uh so that means people cannot come and talk to you face to face we're relying on video technology yeah to go do that and it is always nice when they can come in and check on things so if i were a customer and i want to engage with you guys maybe i'm making some uh special water bottle that has to be a plastic that can handle boiling water I have this idea in my head, but I don't have any drawings. What would you tell me? We would probably walk you through some of the, you know, common questions that manufacturers have. A lot of people have an idea for a product, but they haven't thought through how their customer is going to use it. So we will ask probing questions that figure out Kind of the working environment of the product, the longevity required from the product, the um, other performance issues, because it's often the case where they will have one specific number that they're focused on achieving, and they won't realize that to achieve that number, you have to give up some other things. And so we'll help them think through that process of, of how to balance the, the peak requirements and the other without letting all the other physical properties kind of fall by the sidelines. 
So we'll ask questions like that, and then we will work with them to to match them with a manufacturer. And if it requires a special formulation, we will then formulate that material for them. Um, if it can be solved by an off-the-shelf, then we have two warehouses around Taizhou, and we've got hundreds of grades in supply. So we'll just give them one of those. Okay. And they'll be so, off to the races. So that sounds really nice. I mean, I think that um, many times people don't know how to get in touch with with uh, factory partners, and then customers may not have everything together. They may not understand the uh, MOQs or minimum quantities that you have to place for it to be profitable for them and for you guys. Um, and so I think that's really nice. You walk them through it. Sometimes I will send emails to websites and I don't get a reply, or I will uh, follow up with a phone call, and they're always surprised that I found them, you know? So would you say that most of your customers come through your website or they how do they find you? I would I would say internationally it's it's website heavy. Um, locally it's it's a it's a bit of a mixture of either the website or um, word of mouth. You know, we we cover a wide range of the plastics industry already in Taiwan. It's a small island. Um, respectively and and so so there's a lot of companies that know of us or maybe uh, an employee will move from one company to another and and remember the service that we gave him at his previous job and so I think domestically it's it's a lot of that it's kind of a mixture of word of mouth plus plus our online presence internationally it's definitely um, definitely website uh, more weighted to the website side of things. An interesting example of that is uh, when I came here and up until now, we get, I would say we get regular number of inquiries from university research labs and they will come and they'll say, we're doing a, you know, our class has a project about something and we need a material to, to run tests on. And I don't. I can't say for sure what the policy of the company was before I got here, but since I've been here, I have always said, "Give it to them." Mm. And I'm I'm a strong believer that you know those are the future purchasing folks. Those are the future machine operators. Those are the future decision makers who will graduate and go into the companies. And I I want them to say, "I remember we will." They gave me that free sample when I was a, a graduate student desperate for some help to run my experiment in my lab. So, and I think that's a really cool opportunity for our company to serve, you know, those who, who wouldn't typically pay for a polymer and, and kind of help Taiwan's research. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's fun and, and fantastic. And we've learned something from, from their feedback as well, because we do ask them to share their test results in exchange for the samples. That's been re really fun. I think that's a great idea. And I understand why people don't do that because it is a cost and you don't know where it's going to go. But I do think investing in the future engineers that are out there and running tests, those are going to go to the big companies, you know, especially ones that are interested in testing things. Right. Right. Those are the, that's the right crowd to go and develop. So, yeah, I think that's great. So it sounds like if somebody contacts either of you guys over here, you're, they're going to get some feedback and some direction. Yeah. And hopefully, 
you know, I've been here 20 some odd years. My English isn't as good as it used to be, but hopefully it's less intimidating than, than trying to cross the language barrier from, from an office in North America. I mean, we, we, we like to help the native English speakers kind of get, get a feel for the, the lay of the land here in Taiwan. Yeah, there's a lot of us out there, a lot of product developers that are native English speakers. So is there anything else that you would like to tell someone who is thinking about contacting you here in Taiwan? What else should they know about you guys? I, I think maybe one thing that hasn't been mentioned yet is, is kind of a, a big industry movement that we're seeing pick up steam, and that's, that's the, the movement around um, uh, sustainability. And you know this is a word that's been bandied around the industry for many, many years. And I would say within the last maybe five years, it's, it's picked up a lot of steam. In the last two or three, we're starting to get you know, major brand owners coming to us saying, can you help us? What do you mean by sustainability? How would you describe that? Typically, there are two kind of, there are two um, ways that a brand will, will track that. It will either be through carbon footprint reduction or uh, the use of recycled materials, which kind of goes hand in hand. But either adding recycled material or reducing their carbon footprint. And, and a lot of that a lot of that turns into product redesign where they're designing products to fit into a you know a circular economy where where the product can then be recycled back into the original product. That's kind of the end goal and that's something that we're helping um, you know we're helping customers here in Taiwan and 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 brand owners from around the world um, do with their products. That's a good, so this is very specialized stuff where, um, you know, if they have certain concerns they're trying to redesign to get to a more sustainable product, then this would be another good reason to come contact you guys. Absolutely. Okay, wow. Absolutely. Yeah, all good stuff. I look forward to publishing this and uh, I'll put some links on my website. You can find me at lonestartech.tw and looking forward to the next episode. <laughs> Awesome. Great. Thanks very Thanks much for, for coming us. Yeah. I want to say a big thank you to my listeners and also to Joe Westerhoff and Ethan Feig. Learn more about their company, We Will, at www.ppsolutions.com.tw. If you need help with your partner factories in Taiwan, send me a note at kara at lonestartech.tw. When it comes to manufacturing, leave nothing to chance.